Hello, my name is Kim Davenport and I am the Communications Manager for Tacoma Historical Society and it is my great honor to have with me today uh, State Representative and Speaker of the Washington State House, Representative Lori Jenkins. Thank you for being with me today, Lori. It's great to be with you, Kim. So we are hosting this as one of our virtual programs in part in honor of our current exhibit which celebrates LGBTQ history in Tacoma. Uh, and that led me to want to have a conversation with you. Uh, and I wanted to just start with a really simple, open-ended question for you, which is how long have you called Tacoma home and what brought you here? And then what has led you to stay here? Um, well, first of all, Kim, I just wanted to say, I just visited the exhibit and it was thrilling to exhibit it or, or to be at the exhibit. And it was also really awesome to have the sticky notes and it teaches me, I guess, that I have been around a while because I added many sticky notes to, to things, adding in some different information. So it was great to be able to feel like I was contributing to rounding out um, um, you know, historical information about the community. Um, I, I moved out here in August of 1987, arrived on August 7th of 1987, um, moved from uh, the Midwest, from Southwestern Wisconsin, drove cross country with my two sisters who were both younger than me, came out here to go to law school at what was then the University of Puget Sound School of Law since it has been sold to Seattle University. So is up, up at Seattle University now, but um, I, um, and I actually chose uh, Tacoma to move to based, I was not a well-traveled person at all. Um, I grew up in rural Southwestern Wisconsin, moved 45 miles to go to college to the big city of Madison, um, which was a big city and, and very few people from my high school had ever um, gone that far <laughs> to, to college. Um, but I had a friend, I, 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 I thought that, I'd gotten a bachelor's and master's degree from Madison. And I, I thought, if you go to law school here, you're never leaving. And if you go to law school somewhere else, you can always come back, but you should maybe try something else. So then I went on a search talking to friends who'd traveled. And one of my friends told me, I said, if you could live anywhere in the US, where would you live? And she said, the Puget Sound. I said, what's that? Um, and then she described the region and uh, I applied to law schools in the Northwest and uh, met the, um, the uh, admissions director of the University of Puget Sound Law School um, who had come back to the Madison campus and um, who's now a longtime 30 year friend. Um, uh, but she seemed like the nicest of all the admissions directors to me. So that's how I ended up in Tacoma without ever having visited here. Wow. And it's, you know, it's like so many stories I run into of people who come to Tacoma from somewhere else. I imagine, did you fall in love with the natural beauty of the area as well? Or what were some of the other things that, that led you to decide to stay? Because you, like you said, you could have gone back, right? You could have gone back to the Midwest. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it is a good question. It just seemed like the, you know, in, a, in an evolutionary way, the right thing to do. I mean, part of it was, you know, I met my wife in law school um, and she grew up in Puyallup, right? So she had family here. Um, and I guess I just felt like I had moved on, but it was, there is nothing like waking up in the morning and I lived in the stadium district at first and either walking down the hill, the, the law school was in the old Rhodes department store, which is uh, down by right next to Leroy Jewelers. 
um, in downtown Tacoma and um, either walking down St. Helens or driving down St. Helens and on a clear day, just seeing Mount Rainier rise up in front of you. I actually have a friend from the Midwest who came out to visit and she flew in late at night and she was gonna go to, to she was uh, in PA school and she was gonna study in the law school while I was going to classes in the morning. And so we drove down and we're driving down the hill and I'll never forget her starting to scream. And I slammed on the brakes said, what's the matter? She's like, it's a mountain, it's a mountain. <laughs> um, you know, so, um, so there, there, so that was, that was it. I guess I never felt like I made this permanent decision exactly to stay. I just did. It just happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's why I choose the mountain for, oh, I guess it's here, be, behind me yeah. in the backdrop. I mean, it's really a, it, I, I yeah. have read honestly so many stories of people who started their life somewhere else and came out here for some reason, the military sometimes, and just decided to stay because it yeah. was just, you know, welcoming yeah. and beautiful. Um, you know, um, one thing I will add, you know, about just about my decision, which I, I think probably did have a long-term impact. Um, I'm not really quite sure why, but um as I was driving out with my sisters, I had a lot of time to think. Um, uh, neither one of them, well, only one of them had a driver's license. So anyway, um, I had a lot of time to think while I was driving. And one of the very conscious decisions I made in 1987 is that, you know, I had been in the closet um, uh, through college in my master's program. And that when I moved out here, I would no longer um, be in the closet ever again in my life. And, uh, and I, I really had some, you know, thought through some pretty strong feelings about secrets and how damaging secrets are um, to a person's psyche. Um, and I just felt like the secrets I'd been carrying were harmful to me. Um, so that was a that I think, you know, that was probably a major reason for staying too, is that I was in a place where I lived an outlife and I'd had a really good experience in law school and I wanted to keep having it. Yeah, fresh start in a new place yeah. with a new outlook. Absolutely, yeah. So I, I know that many people who will watch this will recognize you as a longtime leader in our community. And I'm always curious to know this. Um, what led you to decide to run to off, run for office the first time you did? What, what first got you into yeah. that? Yeah. Well, I mean, actually being involved in gay rights um, is the thing that got me involved in politics. Um, I felt very drawn um, to the issues and like right out of law school, uh, we had a ballot initiative on the ballot here in Tacoma, and I got um, somewhat involved with that campaign, but even much more involved the next year. And so I, I really, I spent 20 years involved in issues, political issues, um, less like party things, but really for me, there were a few things that happened. Um, one, I was, I'd taken a job back in Tacoma. I, I'd, I'd been working for state government in Olympia at a, at a high level job, but I was driving out of my community every day. That took a lot of time and I just didn't have a lot of capacity. Um, but then when I started working uh, here in Tacoma, that created, I had a job that where I had some ex feeling like I had some extra capacity as well as I didn't have all this travel time. So anyway, there was more time. Um, uh, I had served on a lot of nonprofit boards uh, over my 20 years in the community at that point. And I was starting to get asked to rejoin them. And I thought that I really all, still love all those organizations, but I felt like I needed to really make a decision. Is that kind of what I was gonna do or was I gonna do something else? 
And then it was also really clear that marriage equality was coming and um, that there was a lot of work to do. There'd never been an out lesbian serving in the state legislature. And I felt really like I looked around, there were no out lesbians who likely were going to be serving in the legislature. And that was very personally motivational to me, but we were also in a great big recession. And I felt like my experience in state government could help and could help people. And so that, it just made me, I hadn't really considered it for a long time. I think the first time I really thought about running for the house and when and my announcement to run, there was a three week window from my first real thought of serious thought about it to announcing I was going to run. It's, it's amazing to me to think about that, that, you know, because I know some people potentially think about it from the time yeah. they're really young. Oh, I want to be a politician. But it, it sounds like it was a natural evolution, but also that it was a pretty quick decision, really. Yeah, it was amazing. And so that I, I, th I do think it's for me, um, the first time in my life I've ever, I would ever say I felt called to something. Um, and I, I was, I mean, I was just, it just, it presented itself. And, um, and then I decided that if I was going to do it, I was going to be all in. And so I was. So I, I saw, anyway, I've only ever run for one office. I just run for it over and over again till I get it all perfect. Um, <laughs> um, and um, and I've and actually, you know, for, uh, for me, I, different people have different feelings. But the minute I stepped foot in the House of Representatives, I knew it was my home, and I knew that there was no other office, there was no other place I ever wanted to serve. Um, so you've always represented the same district. At the same district, I mean, it's the right after my first election was the, was redistricting, and then we just did another ten year redistricting, so it changes a little bit. But I've represented the twenty seventh legislative district, which is most of the city of Tacoma, uh, for my entire political career, and I've loved it. It's been the best job I've ever had. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. And and you mentioned. Um, a ballot initiative. You mentioned a, a political sort of campaign that, that first got you into thinking about this, this work initially of, and, and I've, I've talked to you about this before, but in conjunction with our exhibit, I'd really love to, to delve into this a little bit more in the, if I have this right, it was late nineties, early two thousands that both in Tacoma and at the state level, there were discussions about including the LGBTQ community in anti-discrimination laws that were on the books. Can you talk more about what those efforts were and, and what the process was and, and how much of a struggle it was to get things passed? Yeah, I mean, I'll try to not talk too awfully long about this, but um, you know, in the 80s, there were many cities that were advancing um, anti-discrimination laws for LGBTQ people. And then a woman named Anita Bryant, who'd been a former Miss America and, you know, uh, was on advertising for Florida orange juice, very right wing, took up a cause to repeal those laws. And they, they started to be repealed all over the nation. It ended up in the late, uh, in the very late eighties, uh, the city of Seattle was the first city that rejected one of those Anita Bryant initiatives and maintained their law. In 1989, the city of Tacoma Council passed protections for um, uh, lesbian and gay people at that time. And, um, and there was immediately a repeal effort. 
uh, in 89. And I wasn't very much a part of that campaign. I was still in law school at the time. Um, so I wasn't very involved. I was living in Tacoma, but we lost that election by around 800 votes, a very small margin. And we really thought that the, a lot of us thought that the reason was that people were confused. And that if, because it was a very confusing ballot initiative, that was also a time when where when the way in which people ran these campaigns was not to talk about lesbian and gay people. It was to talk about other people that they might feel more comfortable with that would be negatively affected if these laws were repealed. It was a real um, strange, I mean, as we, I look back, it was a really strange environment because we were in a lot of ways still expected to be very closeted. Um, and so anyway, the, uh, we gathered signatures. I became part of the campaign that gathered signatures to get us back on the ballot in 1990 to get the law back on the books um, and became kind of a, a spokesperson and one of the kind of the core team that worked on this campaign. Um, and uh, it turned out that people were really confused. And on election night, we lost by 70% to 30%. Um, and it, that, was, uh, that was one of the more devastating losses uh, I've ever experienced. Um, and you know, for people who were just coming out, um, it really drove many people in Tacoma back into the closet. Uh, it took a long time for people to heal from that. So what was the next step then? You know, coming back from a defeat like that, what's what's the next step in that process? Yeah, well, I mean, one, there's this huge context of what was happening in the rest of the, all over Washington state. There was this guy in Oregon named Lon Maybon who um, was getting ballot initiatives on the Oregon, um, on the Oregon ballot, statewide initiatives to write discrimination into the law. And he announced that he was going to bring his campaigns to Washington and a group of, of people got together and said, no, that's not gonna happen. You'll keep your hands off Washington. It became a statewide, the first real statewide LGBTQ organization uh, called Hands Off Washington. We, and we uh, in Tacoma, that was, so that would have been in about 93. So a couple of years go by, that was in 93. Um, we started organizing and the, one of the big things that Hands Off Washington did is there was a recognition that Seattle already had a very strong and empowered uh, LGBTQ community that had been protected in many ways, that it was the rest of the state that we were not well organized in. So rather than spending energy organizing in Seattle, we spent, I, I joined the board of Hands Off Washington and we spent all of our energy organizing everywhere but Seattle. And we had chapters all over the state. We had one here in Pierce County. And so we spent actually most of the 90s battling back against anti-gay initiatives. None of them made the ballot um, uh, ever. And uh, we, we developed such great strong allies in the faith community, in the business community, in the law enforcement community. Um, uh, uh, parents and friends and uh, just it was it was an amazing time of real growth and affirmation and um, you know it was also the time when we started to realize that the most personal thing any of us would ever do also happened to be the most political thing we could ever do which was to come out um, and then in the late 90s 
um, I was chairing the Hands Off Washington Board and we decided to do a proactive initiative to write uh, anti-discrimination protections into Washington state law. Um, first time there'd ever been a proactive ballot initiative um, on, this, on this issue or really in a lot of ways to extend the civil right to a community. There was a lot of dissension in the community about whether or not that was appropriate to put uh, the extension of rights up to a vote of the people. Um, and, you know, we had, we had excellent polling, um, you know, that, sh you know, showed people's, people's about 80, actually in the low 80s, people thought it was wrong to fire somebody from their job uh, because they were gay. But the biggest challenge was people thought it was already illegal. They could not believe that it wasn't already illegal. So this played into, for folks who were around then, you might remember the special rights argument. It really played into the special rights argument because people thought that's wrong. You can't do that. That's not okay. It's illegal. So they must be trying to get something else. And the truth of the matter was it wasn't, it was wrong. It wasn't illegal. Um, and we had, and you know, our, uh, the thing I learned about that campaign, uh, Kim, was um, that our community was not really strongly aligned about it. Um, a lot of different feelings about it. And that, that, that kept us from really being able to forcefully get out into the electorate and talk to them about the issue. Um, and we lost really quite badly. Um, and so again, I, you know, I was part of one of these proactive things twice, um, have ha had an experience um, with loss, which again, I probably learned more from those experiences than from the wins we had in ways. Um, but that, those, that was hard. And that's what led us to finally getting uh, protections here in Tacoma in, in the early 2000s. So it's an amazing journey. And I think it's especially important you know, this is more than 20 years ago now. There's a whole generation of people born after this happens, right? And so I think it's important for people to realize how recent all this history really is. Yeah. Like the protections yeah. that are in the law now, they haven't been there very long. Yeah, well, right. And then, I mean, um, and then in the, I think it was 2002 when we had our Tacoma United for Fairness campaign, tough. Um, was the name of the group, but we, we again, and this was another time where we were, that we had a Tacoma Human Rights Commissioner who was working on, on having the, um, the council add LGBTQ people back into the anti-discrimination laws. This was uh, also, we were, the, the earlier versions had been really lesbian and gay folks, not really including trans folks. We were very clear about including trans folks in, in the 2002 campaign. But this, this um, uh, human rights commissioner was kind of out there on her own. We, no one was really talking to her very much. And then before we knew it, like the, count, the, the commission had recommended to the council and I got a call from some staff at the city saying, what the heck, we better like, we gotta do some things, can you help us? So, you know, we really structured it much with much more community engagement before the council ever even voted on the ordinance. We did a whole bunch of community forums to talk about um, the issue, to explain the, the issue to people, to answer questions. That was helpful. The council adopted it. We did have a group that tried to, that collected signatures to try to repeal it. And we just had the most 
I think the most robust campaign the city of Tacoma certainly had ever had up to that point, uh, and maybe has ever had. Um, we um, we organized by we understood at that point that that being out was the most powerful thing that you could do. That people having friends that they could look at and family members and coworkers who they knew were. Um, were lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, and they also knew all kinds of other things about them that made them a friend, right? Um, that that was important. We we went door knocking door to door and had multiple days where we would have over a hundred people show up to door knocks, tons of allies um, doing this with us. Uh, the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force came out and really helped us in the campaign, helped us you know, get a victory. And in the end, we won by a 57% vote um and that was the at that point it was the largest margin that any city had ever retained its uh anti-discrimination ordinance by um and i maybe other cities have done it by larger margins since then but but up to that point uh we were we were it and um and you know i met many lifelong friends uh doing that and uh, brought many, you know, lifelong friends or, or at least since I'd moved out here to that campaign. Uh, but I was really happy to be able to chair that and to use those losses, things that had happened during those losses taught me a lot about what to do and not to do in order to, to get victory um, in the early 2000s. Very proud of my city for it. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful part of Tacoma history for people to understand, I think. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I don't, I guess I just don't feel like there aren't that many times in anybody's life, some people don't have any, where you get to remake history, you get to revisit this awful history that you have in 1989 and 1990, this devastating thing that happened. And then, you know, less than 15 years later, you get to take that history and you get to completely transform it and remake it in this wonderful way for people. For your, for me, for I, I could do it for myself and, and you know, for our entire community um, and city. And speaking of making history, that leads me really nicely to my next question, uh, because I wanted to ask you about, you know, when, when you were first elected to the legislature, you became the first out lesbian to serve. Uh, and then years later, you know, coming into the role of Speaker of the House, the first woman to hold that role, and not to mention, you know, also the first LGBTQ person to hold that role. But I'd like to ask you kind of two questions, and you can take them in any order that you want. But uh, what's significant about those those firsts to you personally? And then also, what do you think is significant about them more broadly? Like maybe, you know, to our district that you serve, or in in Tacoma, or statewide? What do you think is significant? You know, I don't, I mean, the personal thing that's significant to me is being the, being the first queer woman elected to the legislature. That was very important to me in, the, in my campaign in the sense that it got me up every day. So like, right, the campaign is really about, always about talking to voters and raising money so that you can talk to voters that you actually don't physically get to talk to, right? So you can send them mail or, or do advertising or something like that. And there are a lot of days where you wake up and you're just like, I do not feel like doing that. <laughs> um, you know, it's raining or, you know, any number of, of things. 
And, you know, I would be able to say to myself, do you want to be the first or don't you? Your choice, Lori. And then I would get up and I would go do it. Um, but I, so that, that, that was important. That is an important motivational thing for me. But other than that, it doesn't feel like it's about me at all. It's about the symbol of that thing. I can't even tell you, Kim, the number of people when I was elected, the letters I received, the emails I received from young uh, people, from older people, from all sorts of people all over the state who talked about how happy it made them to be able to see some reflection of them. And then when I would, you know, give speeches on the floor and talk about my family, people who would say my family's never been spoken of on the floor of the House of Representatives, never, never. And you talked about my family. Um, and, you know, and pictures of my, you know, my, my wife and I and our son and, and things like that. And that I tend to look at that as not really about me or about us, but it's about us, bigger us. Um, and, you know, that's the same way I feel about speaker, about the speaker role, being the, the first woman. And I may or may not be the first LGBTQ person. I'm certainly the, the, for, the first lesbian. We've had all men before. I don't know if any of them were gay. They weren't out, but, um, but if they were, and there, I, I have not, no one's told me a story that in which people think we've had prior gay male speakers. But um, anyway, I, I just, I'm very honored to be able to be the person that, one of the people that gives people hope and helps people feel included and seen. Um, you know, and I do think coming from the community that I've come from, it, it, I have a particular commitment to inclusion of diverse voices around decision-making tables because uh, I know what it's like to not have my voice heard around a decision-making table or, or, or you know, the, the queer community's voice heard and to have other people making decisions for us. Um, you know, so, so I, that's very, it's a very important thing to me. And I feel strongly that sometimes that makes our decision-making more complicated, right? Because you're listening to a lot more diverse voices to try and make a decision, but that's okay because every single time every single time the decision that's made for the people of this state is better. It's better. Um, so anyway, I'm a little bit on my soapbox. You know? No, I, I love that soapbox. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, we talk about having a representative government, right? But if it's actually not representative, um, are we really achieving that? You know, so yeah. that's, it, it's really important. Um, is there, I have one more question and then I'm, I, we have time if there's anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to talk about as well. But I have a question that I, I love to ask pretty much everybody I talk to in this venue, um, which is why do you think it's important? Um, I, I know you do because we've talked about this before, but why do you think it's important that people in a community know the history of their community in which they live? Why, why do you think that is, is a, a value of a community? What does it do to improve a community? Why is it important for individuals? In other words, you know, why do you think people should come to our museum and see our exhibit? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I, there's a whole bunch of reasons. Um, I mean, I hope for people, 
I hope that seeing the struggle that folks have gone through to get us where we're at today is one, like it's, uh, it's humbling, right? It's really humbling to see what others have done. Um, uh, you know, and for me to actually know, know Jim Gaylord, right? To, who's a personal hero, to have known Perry Watkins, who's a total, was a total kick in the pants. And he would tell you what to do and where to go and how quickly to get there. Um, but, and it's, hum that is humbling, but in time, sometimes in times like this that we're in, that seem very difficult, can seem very difficult for me. And I think for a lot of other people, seeing that other people went through difficult times and came, came out of those and found creative, inspiring ways to move out of it and to help like broaden um, their influence and their impact on community. That's just so inspiring to me. Like every, every time I go and, and see um, a historical exhibit, those are things that I think about is the amazing things that people did. And then, hey, their life was at least as hard as what's going on for me right now or harder. And they figured out things to do and we can learn lessons from them. You know, one of the things I mentioned before we started this interview, the, the other thing that's kind of funny being in the legislature is um, I remember being a new member and I sat next to two of the most senior members on the floor, Eileen Cody and Ruth Kagey, both of whom had served for uh, nearly 20 years before I arrived. And, um, and two things that were fun and interesting about it. One would be every once in a while, I would say to one of them, I'm gonna do a bill about this. And inevitably one of them would say to me, I did that bill in 1998 and I'm gonna tell you what happened. Um, and this is what's gonna to happen to you. And the thing about it was like, sometimes exactly what had happened to them would happen to me. But many times, times had changed right? Things had changed and the bill would move and they would always be happy for me. But that, that, um, to me, that's a little bit about historical learning too, is like, oh, hearing from them what happened when they ran the bill was always really important. But you also have to realize that times change. And that's, that's part of what happened between 1990 and 2002 in Tacoma. Uh, we helped, we helped make those times change too. Right, um, and uh, the other thing is just um, the great thing about history and learning from people who've been through historical times is there's no end to learning. Like you can talk to the, when I talked to Ruth and Eileen, uh, m most of the times they were giving me advice, but these were 20, 20 year members who would come to me sometimes and say, I don't know what to do. Here's what happened. What do you think I should do? And I'm like, I'm a freshman. I don't know, um, maybe do this. And every once in a while, one of them would say, that's an awesome idea. I'm gonna try that and it would work, um, right? And so the, the great thing about history is to be, be able to evolve and learn and always be learning um, and never stop learning because um, it teach you how, teaches you how to move the world forward, so. I may be off on a bunny trail, but I, anyway, 
No, that's, <laughs> I really appreciate that answer. Thank you. And, and I want to come back to something that you said uh, early on, and I knew what you meant, but I want to make sure everybody else understands what you meant. Uh, you talked about coming to see our exhibit and um, adding post-its. Can you, <laughs> can you help me share with, with anyone watching, maybe who hasn't come into the exhibit yet, uh, what you meant by that? What, what are the, what's the significance of the, of the post-it notes in our exhibit? Well, there's a great, right, it's this great exhibit on LGBTQ history in Tacoma. Um, and it invites people who are, who are looking at the exhibit to take post-it notes and it has pencils there and write additional information, names of people, things that happened, correcting dates, whatnot, all kinds of things. Um, to to more to better round out our history. So I really, really urge people to um, uh, to go to it, especially folks who've been around the community for a long time. Um, you may have things to um, add. We were just talking, Kim, about um, there's there's some information about like the the history of bars in Tacoma. But my guess is there's a whole bunch of people that could. Uh, tell you about all kinds of, you know, bars, the 733 Club, the Polar Bear, the airport, the, you know, there's a whole bunch of um, historic um, bars, none of which uh, exist anymore as um, LGBTQ bars in Tacoma. But that, that's just a fun, like, sub part of the history. Um, we could probably get people from, uh, hopefully, somebody from um, the court of Tacoma would will see this and and we'll have maybe the court should actually go down as a group and start posting post-it notes about uh, all kinds of um, great things about the court subculture and and the contributions it's made to to all kinds of things in our community so anyway you have every people have the chance to build out history um, our historical uh, queer timeline in Tacoma um, themselves yeah, it's it's a great, it's a wonderful part of the exhibit, I think, and it's um and of course the post-its are in a rainbow of colors because yes. they should be. Uh, but I just think it's it's a great you know gesture of acknowledging that we certainly in the museum do not have the full picture, uh, but nor do I think we ever have the full picture on any topic unless we invite lots of people to contribute. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so yes, I, yeah, I, I, I hope everybody I, comes and sees it. I think I've told you, Kim, other times when I've talked to you, the State History Museum collects my papers. Yes. So, I mean, I don't, I have no idea what kind of loaning um, uh, arrangement you all have, but for example, I know there's at least one Tacoma United for Fairness yard sign um, at the History Museum. There may be more uh, and t-shirts and other things like that. So as you're, um, as you continue to build, uh, hopefully the, the History Museum um, would be interested in loaning you, loaning the Tacoma. Um, historical society, some of the items. Yeah, thank you. Display. Yeah, and yeah. I, I, this is, to my knowledge, our first exhibit specifically on this topic, mm -hmm. uh, and I know it will not be our last, so it's good to know that that all those materials are there and we can in include them the next time, in addition to all of the information being shared by people who add those post-its when they come visit. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, is, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to add? Uh, I, you know, um, I guess uh, the other, th I, there's a whole bunch of things that make me proud about Tacoma, right? We have, we've had a number of, L of you know, out LGBTQ people elected to office, leading, um, leading uh, organizations. We have, you know, two, you know, two colleges in Tacoma who are led by uh, 
uh, gay black men um, and are both are doing extraordinary jobs doing that. Um, we, we are just so, the, the, the LGBTQ community is so fully engaged with the, accept, the success of Tacoma, fully in so many ways. And I really, um, I want our community, our community to be so proud of that. Not only do we support each other, but we are all about uh, having the whole community rise, uh, all of us together and helping everyone be successful. And um, I am so proud to be a member of the community and uh, you know, uh, uh, the Tacoma community and the LGBTQ community within Tacoma that has been so committed for so long um, to uh, making sure Tacoma is a successful place to, to live and to work and to play. Thank you. I'm, I'm definitely going to give you the last word on that. I appreciate mm -hmm. that. Thank you so much for your time. And I will, as this video comes to an end, I'll put up the information on the screen about how people can come see the exhibit. But I really appreciate your time. Thank you. And thank you, Kim, for all your work on the exhibit. It's just really wonderful. I loved it. This is a Tacoma Historical Society production.